Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome back to the Radiant Podcast, and this week I am so excited to have Jessica Honiger join me. Jessica is an award-winning social entrepreneur and author of the book, Imperfect Courage. Guys, I have been loving this book because it's all about going scared, which is also the name of Jessica's podcast. Jessica is best known as the founder of and co-CEO of Noonday Collection, a fast-growing social impact fashion brand dedicated to designing and selling an inspired collection of jewelry and accessories handmade by artisans in vulnerable communities across the globe. By harnessing a passionate community of social entrepreneurs called ambassadors who sell Noonday's accessories at trunk shows in their communities, Noonday sustains dignified jobs for over 4,400 artisans. Guys, I am Super pumped to share this conversation with you. Jessica talks about doing the hard stuff even when you're scared, and I know her story is going to be encouraging for so many of you. So if you love the episode, be sure to screenshot it, tag us in your stories, tag Jessica, tag me, tell us what you love, tell us what you found encouraging and inspiring, and it also helps spread the word for the Radiant Podcast. So I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. I know I found it so inspirational, so let's dive in. Let's get to it. Hey, Jessica. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for joining me. I am so glad to have you on. I have been loving your book and your podcast. So I know my, my radiant tribe is going to really enjoy our conversation today. I think they're going to find it so relatable. Um, but I would love for you to start by sharing your story and how you got started. Um, the long journey you've kind of taken to where you are today. I would love to kind of hear it all. So if you would um, share with us the full gamut, everything you've kind of walked through since starting Noonday. All right. Well, if you tell me to give the long version, I will give the long version. (laughs) Well, I'm glad. (laughs) Awesome. So I'm the CEO and founder of a brand called Noonday Collection. And Noonday Collection, we are a fair trade accessories brand. And we partner with artisans around the world in 14 different countries. And these artisans are coming from really vulnerable communities. So a lot of the people that are often left out of the marketplace, uh, a lot of vulnerable women, many that have come out of sex trafficking and brothels. And we come alongside their businesses and we help them to scale. We help them with financing. We help them with collaborative design. And then we bring their products to market here in the United States through a group of social entrepreneurs that we call Noonday Collection Ambassadors. And ambassadors are entrepreneurs that are creating a marketplace for those goods. And I started the company without any of this in mind. I actually started the company uh, because I was in a really financially desperate situation. My husband and I eight years ago, we had two kids and we had decided to bring in another child into our family through adoption. And we had, Joe and I, my husband, we had met overseas through an organization called Food for the Hungry and had really had a shared vision for our lives are meant to be used to create opportunity for others. So it wasn't a far reach that once we began growing our family, we began to consider other options, foster care, international adoption, domestic adoption, 
And through that process, we had really landed on international adoption. And through a crazy set of circumstances, like me doing some Googling and the first blog that came up was my college roommate from college who was adopting from Rwanda. And I reached out to her and it was just, it was crazy. So God made it very clear that we had a little guy waiting for us in Rwanda. So we began walking down that journey, that road and started the paperwork trail, started filling out all of the, the paper that we needed to fill out along with the funding that we needed to start spending on the adoption. And about three months in, the recession really hit and it caught up to Austin and my husband and I have been working in the real estate industry. So that little nest egg that was starting to pay some of those adoption bills was now paying the grocery bills. And before you knew it, we literally did not have enough money. We began putting our groceries on the credit card. So at that point, I didn't want a financial situation to stop us from growing our family, but I also knew I needed to start some sort of side hustle And because my husband and I had met from living overseas, we had really, throughout our whole marriage, continued to travel and create relationships and a network of people living around the world that were trying to create sustainable solutions to poverty alleviation. And one of those friends, um, it was a couple living in Uganda, they had previously said um, to me that they were trying to start an artisan business. They said, we have this really talented young couple that we have become friends with, and they're extremely talented, but they're extremely poor we believe that if we could somehow create a marketplace for them in America, they could be the future leaders of Uganda. And when they had told me this and suggested that I start selling their items, I I completely laughed them off. I was like, I've got two kids. I've got a real estate business, you know, like that. My, My plate's full. Fast forward a few months later where suddenly we are putting our groceries on the credit card and I recall that conversation and thought maybe this could be an opportunity for me to bring in some money for our adoption. So I texted them. They got right back to me. They said the offer's still on the table. You know, let me connect you with my mom. She can get all the stuff out of storage. So I met up with her mom and got all of these beautiful African goods dusted them off, merchandised my house and invited a whole bunch of women over. And, you know, this time when I invited them over, it felt really, really vulnerable to me because we were still trying to make it as realtors, but here we were not even having enough money to pay for our adoption. So I was so afraid of how other people would perceive me. Are people going to be thinking, well, gosh, how they shouldn't even be growing their family if they can't even afford the way in which they want to do it. Also, we're not going to hire anyone to be a realtor if they, you know, if they're not successful, obviously. (laughs) And I just remember standing in my living room that night, looking around and suddenly thinking this was a really bad idea. And I really wanted to cancel right then and there, but I'm so glad I didn't because women did come and, you know, people didn't judge. They actually appreciated the vulnerability and the authenticity. And there was such a special connection that took place that night among the women that came. I think women realized, oh my gosh, I'm using my purchasing power for good. 
people wanted to rally around this young couple in Uganda that they didn't even know about. And then people really wanted to support our adoption journey and wanted to come around us. And that night I realized, gosh, maybe this isn't just a fundraiser. Maybe this, this really could be a business and things sold really well. And the next day I texted my friends and I was like, wow, things sold really well. And they said, well, why don't you use that money to place another order with our friends, Jolly and Daniel will connect you directly with them. And then very quickly, I had friends say, well, I'll open my home for you. And I went and set up a Western Union account and I pawned gold jewelry to build my first website. And I started asking women to open up their homes. And this is before I even had more product shipped over to me from Uganda. I just started going for it. And even though I felt like I don't know what I'm doing, even though I felt like I don't have a business background, I don't have, you know, I don't have it all together, but I just took the next step. And I think what I learned through the journey is courage is not a state of fearlessness. Courage is being afraid and going anyway. And that's what I realized when I look back on that moment, standing in my living room, looking around me and seeing it, that moment of like, I just want to cancel and not canceling that, that to me was a moment of courage. And going to the pawn shop and pawning off the gold jewelry, even though I didn't know if this was going to be a success you know, that was courage. And I began to really understand courage in a new way, in a way that I hadn't known before. And, you know, eight years later, we now have 4,500 artisans. So Jolia and Daniel, that young couple now have a hundred full-time employees. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. Yes. And we now have 2000 Noonday Collection ambassadors around the country. So these are women that were very similar to me. They wanted to earn a paycheck with a purpose. They needed flexibility. A lot of them are young moms. Many of them aren't. Um, But we are a bunch of social entrepreneurs who are just doing it scared and encouraging one another along the way, because I firmly believe that courage is contagious. And as we create a community that inspires courage and inspires us to just go forward, even if we're not perfect, that really is what creates an atmosphere for changing the world, which is what we're doing. Oh, preach girl. That is good. So one thing that I really, really um, find encouraging and, and really resonate with, with your statement of courage is contagious. And I'm so thankful for your vulnerability and your willingness to share your story because a conversation I've been having really a lot this month is we really look at other people's lives and want to believe it was easier for them to get to where they are. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to look at them on Instagram. I just had this conversation with a friend last night as kind of someone we both went to college with came up and he got a little bit critical. And I was like, whoa, why are you critical of that? And we both started unpacking of why we each do that. I do it too. And it's often because they're, we, we want to say them going after their dreams is easier than us going after ours because we have all these obstacles and roadblocks and they must not. But I love it when people share their stories um, and, and kind of the authority you've gained into the space with this message comes from a very costly journey. It wasn't easy and a lot was at stake. I think I remember you saying in your book, did you say you had five houses that you needed to sell? 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. At one point we had five houses. This is when banks were just giving out loans, no doc loans. And it was an extremely stressful time. And really Noonday Collection was born out of failure because we almost lost everything in the housing market. And if that one thing wouldn't have failed, I would never have been as desperate as I was to just do whatever it took. I mean, like I said, my friends previously had said, why don't you try this? And I laughed them off. And to think that that a laugh, like, ha ha ha, you know, I mean, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, when God tells Sarah, like, you, you're going to be, you know, a mom to many nations. And she's just like, hilarious. Like, I'm not going to get pregnant at this age, you know, and, you know, and very much this came from something that felt impossible, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't come with a cost because, I mean, it has cost me everything. I would say that running, starting and running Noonday Collection has been required just as much commitment and energy as raising a child. And I have three kids, so I know what that is like. And, you know, that is a, one of the reasons I wrote the book, because I think that we like to be full of excuses, but we don't think they're excuses. I think the excuses keep us safe and they keep us from moving forward. You know, we like to say, well, they that person had that connection or that person and had that skill set or, you know, that person just, you know, things come easily for them. And really, you know, like what you're saying earlier, those, those are just excuses that are preventing us from just walking through the mess of what it takes to really start and build something. And I think that, you know, as someone who is now perceived as successful, I would be doing a disservice to not you know, let everyone see what goes on behind the curtain. And, you know, authenticity and vulnerability are qualities that are very important to me. And I write a lot about those in the book. And, but again, I've had to learn that. I mean, I didn't always, you know, used to share that I pawned gold jewelry to fund the first website. Cause I thought, gosh, that looks really, really desperate. And I don't want to share that story. And after a couple of years of noonday, and I remember just starting to share and how people really do connect with the messiness, you know, people don't connect with just the perfect shiny story that, that we really want to put forth because none of us are perfect and shiny. Like we all have messes and we all have imposter syndrome and we all have these doubts and these fears. But yeah, the Instagram version of ourselves makes it seem like we just were an overnight success and we never struggled and we're super confident. And that's just not true. And I think the more we can begin to come out from hiding, then and really, you know, a lot of courage is just being able to own your truth and speak your truth and, you know, going ahead and saying that no matter what the cost may be. But that's where connection happens. You know, we're all ultimately longing for connection. We all are longing for connection, but we will never be connected if we're not willing to come out and be seen. Oh, I 100% agree. So, you know, one thing we briefly chatted about before we hopped on, and I think I've heard you talk about it, is being an Enneagram 7, you're prone to, or at least, you know, stereotypically, and I know this is the case for me, you're prone to reframing. So sometimes yes. we don't even realize we're reframing things to make it sound better. It's just our way of coping to see the bright side. And, and to be honest, 
reframing with positivity is the only re- the only way I've survived certain seasons of my life. And so sometimes that can be mistaken as inauthentic or not vulnerable. And it's actually just a coping mechanism. But how have you towed the line of seeing the positive or pulling out the gold in any situation and also saying this is freaking hard and messy? Yeah. You know, I definitely tend to do that in retrospect because I think we do pull out those coping mechanisms right when we're in the middle of something and we're like, okay, you, you, you do reframe, but the thing is, you know, there's reframing, but there's also just seeing the opportunity and knowing that the hard will eventually turn into the good. But I think for me being able to like stop and reflect and look back and then kind of let myself feel maybe some of the feelings that I didn't let myself experience at the time, I'm kind of doing that right now. Just this year has been crazy. It hasn't been like hard in the way of like, I don't know, see, this is such a seven. Like my, my dad was diagnosed with cancer this year and we're remodeling our house. So the kids have been living in the living room and I launched a book, which required a ton of travel and effort and energy. But I guess that adrenaline can take over and you're just kind of riding on that adrenaline and life is full. So you're not often processing it at the time. So now I'm in a season where things have slowed down and I'm just, I'm really stopping and feeling my feelings and looking back and, and really honoring the, the hard work and just kind of going, wow, that, that was hard. And, you know, my body needs a break and give yourself a break and, you know, kind of giving myself permission to kind of slow down and have a slow day at the office where it's not just back-to-back meetings and, you know, kind of being okay with a little bit of boredom, <laughs> which I'm not good with. Oh, it's brutal. It's terrible. I was telling my husband a couple of weeks ago because he is such a routine guy and he's like, I'm a maintainer. Like yeah. he loves, he loves to maintain and he does that. He does that for our family. He is kind of like a wingman. Like he wants to come alongside a starter and just help them to like maintain. Yes, this is my and husband. is that your husband? Yeah. He's a nine. Okay. Okay. Mine's a one with a nine wing. Yeah. So yeah. So he just, that's, that's his thing. And I, cannot like I try to get out of driving the same way home twice (laughs) you know and we talked about I'm like man those hours in the evening that just they just feel like drudgery like okay time to make dinner time to do the homework and he's like but that's the stuff of life like life is mainly the ordinary things and I'm like I know I know and I I want to be present for it because I tend to immediately want to escape anything that isn't just like fun and exciting and interesting um, so I recommitted, I, and I write about this in my book that I keep my phone in my car when I come home from work. But the reality is since I launched my book, which has been a couple months now, I kind of gave myself permission to like, you know what, I need to be on right now. And I'm going to give myself permission to just like, not use my boundaries, my normal boundaries. <laughs> yeah. So I now am like, okay, we recommitted to not being on the phone you know, from when we get home from work until when the kids go to bed. And, and then I kind of said to him, I was like, well, listen, babe, sometimes I get bored at the dinner table because you aren't like emotionally <laughs> engaging, you know, this is I my never we have been married for 16 years. I have this thought regularly, like probably every night at the dinner table. And it's like this fear. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, when we're empty nesters again, like, is this, is this it? Like, and so it was really good to just share and have him kind of own, like, 
you know what? Because he does the whole after school routine. So he's the one who gets the kids in the afternoon, does all their homework with them, like gets all the lunches unpacked and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'm kind of done by dinner. And I was like, you know what? That's real. Like, I can see that. But then he also like was like, hey, if you came home and like just kind of we started doing stuff together, like we started making dinner together. And then we all then he's like he was kind of offering to be more emotionally available. So it was kind of this like, you know what? I'm not just going to escape the moment something isn't exciting and we're not having this like exciting, deep conversation at the dinner table with like our nine, 10 and 12 year olds, you know? <laughs> But he kind of promised to like be more emotionally available. And then I'm like, yeah, well, I'm going to be available too. I'm not just going to like grab my phone when I'm feeling like, well, this is boring. Oh, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I've been um, in a season of really just processing the last few years. And there was a very distinct season where like I'd be bored of Book of Flight. I mean, the Enneagram sleeping at last song could not be more <laughs> fitting for me. My husband listened to it and was like, oh my God. Oh my gosh, I I didn't know you valued being home with me. I thought you'd rather be gone all the time. I didn't know you you wanted both and it's just a push pull and it's really like you're always torn. And I was like, oh yeah, it's just the second I get bored and then I can always justify it. Like, oh, got another client to land or got to be at this conference or got to be at this meeting. And there's always a reason I could justify it. And so it's not like I'm just, it doesn't look like blatant escapism, but it is. And so we've been on that. <laughs> but it is, and, yeah. and, and he has been like, I'll be like, you know, he, he kind of asks like, cool travel, you know, nine months out of the year. My one request is that you will stay home in a three month stretch. And I get home and I'm like, I'm, I'm so bored. And he, his response is, this is good for you. <laughs> so uh, that's okay, where we're at. Okay. That's <laughs> funny because I, I mean, I have a job where I could literally travel whenever, wherever, anytime. I mean, it's pretty crazy. And right now we're booking my 2019 and there's some strategic places that I need to go. And I'm talking with Joe through it all. And I'm like, you know, do I go to Nepal, Honduras, Thailand, Bali? You know, I definitely want to stop by India. And I'm like, this is so <laughs> ridiculous. But he... I was like, but honestly, too, I'm still feeling a little tired from this last year. It was just a very full year. And I was like, so I'm looking at, you know, going in like eight weeks. And he was like, ah, you'll be ready to go by then. You won't be tired anymore. And I was like, I really appreciated that he had that perspective because I sometimes think like, I'm so tired. Like, I'm not going to want to get on an airplane again. And then literally, yeah, like within three weeks, oh, I'm like, yeah. okay, where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? guys, you know, if I'm timing out the podcast right in the middle of some really juicy conversation, it has to be for a great reason. Well, it is. The Fat Fit Fun seasonal subscription box is available right now, and it's something I look forward to seeing on my doorstep every few months. So I asked them for a coupon code so my tribe here at the Radiant Podcast could enjoy it too. I'm that into it. These boxes sell out fast. So, you have to really jump on it, but I'm telling you, it's because they're so good. They're packed full of products from beauty, wellness, to fashion and fitness. You'll find everything from Tarte Beauty products, items from Anthropology, Free People, which if you've been with me for a while, you know I love, Juice Beauty, Trina Turk, Bear Paul Chi, Kate Somerville, and that's only a few of the brands. There's a huge variety. One of my favorite items I've seen was the Moroccan Gold Series Treatment Mask. Talk about feeling like a queen, but whenever they send, it's all 
always trending brands, high quality, full size, y'all, full size products that really get you ready for the season ahead. The box retails for $49.99, but always, and I mean always, has a value of over $200 inside. You know me. As an Enneagram 7, the word fun speaks my language, y'all, and these boxes are just that, fun. Every time I open one, it feels like my own personal boutique in a box, but what I love about these boxes is there really is something inside for everyone, no matter what products or brands you love. Best part, they're customizable to the types of items you'd prefer to receive. And they always end up having so much inside that I give some of the products I love to friends. I know my friends would love them and I like to have a gift that keeps on giving, right? Check out fabfitfun.com and use the code RADIANT10 so you can save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. You guys, I would never promote something I don't love and believe in and this really is such a steal. I mean, you never hear ads on this podcast, right? So if I'm talking about it, I really, really love it. I just had to get this code for you guys, and that code RADIANT10 will work forever. So no matter when you're hearing this episode go live, you can snag that RADIANT10 code and go over to fabfitfun.com and use it for $10 off your first box. So let's get after it. Go treat yourself. You deserve some fun and glam in your life. My beginning of my being home, which really ends up being more like 10 weeks versus a full 12, but by mid-November, I was already like booking out trips for the next year, and I'm like, I'm going to slow down. I promise. I'm slowing down in 2019, and he's like, yeah, right. I will believe it when I see it, and so I 100% resonate so, okay, so as you've built out Noonday, you know, now it, this year it, or, or 2015, it was um, number 45 in, in the 5,000 fastest growing companies in America. How have you stewarded that and carried that and evolved with it? Because that's no small feat. I know you earned the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year for Central Texas. I mean, like Noonday, it, it seems like it scaled fast. How did you keep up? How did you care for yourself as you did that? I mean, I, I can hear you say you enjoy living life in the fast lane, and I do as well, but how the heck did you care for your soul during that time? How did you grow with it? How has your relationship with running a company grown over the years? You know, it has evolved so much, and I think, you know, birthing something those first few years as an entrepreneur, when you're literally doing everything. I mean, after a year, I got a business partner and he has a finance and operations background. So that was an absolute game changer. Yeah. So then he really began kind of building out the framework and kind of the more of the infrastructure that we really were going to need to scale. But, you know, I mean, I, we're recruiting ambassadors. I'm writing all the trainings. I'm still doing trunk shows. I'm doing all the marketing. I'm running all the social. I'm writing all the emails. I'm do, uh, you know, designing all the product I'm, you know, for those first few years I did, I got the shingles, I got the flu like three times in a year. I mean, there was just a level of intensity there that I look back and I do wonder how, how did I do it? Only the grace of God really, you know, when, when I look back and I, cause I was raising three little kids, you know, they were like six and under during sort of the crazy startup years. 
And then at some point in the last couple of years, we primarily because we've been able to hire an executive team, a leadership team, and get the right people in the right place. A lot of times the people that help you start a business aren't going to be the people that help you scale a business. So there's starters and then there's builders. And, you know, I think that we we went through a big transition as a, as a company with realizing that some of the people that helped us start, you know, w- weren't really wanting to be there anymore. And it was just, you know, that we needed to kind of work on that. And then, of course, we needed to grow up too and really create an environment where people could thrive in their jobs. And, you know, I think now it's really just been, okay, how am I going to grow as a leader now? Like not just this, you know, an entrepreneurial leader, not just an entrepreneur who just wants to go start things and blow things up and is ready for the excitement, but how am I going to be an entrepreneurial leader? And, you know, some of that really started this last year, we hired an executive coach and that coach did a 360 feedback and, and interviewed various stakeholders in my life and got very honest, honest feedback and gave it to me and said, like, this is how other people experience you. And there was a lot of positive stuff, but there was also some stuff that I was like, man, that sucks. Like, I don't want to be experienced like that. And a lot of what she described is, is where sevens go to in stress, which is one. So like it's hypercritical, you know, hyper, just everything's urgent and kind of diminishing people's needs and, just being, yeah, just not really stopping and really uh, listening and not not receiving feedback and kind of just treating people more like cogs in my wheel. And it was really hard to hear all this. I, I say it now like, oh, they, they, she gave this feedback. And, but I mean, I really, it was awful. It was awful. And especially I think as an Enneagram seven who, you know, we don't want to cause other people pain. We just don't want pain in general. So, you know, I think for me to stop and go, oh my God, I have caused other people pain. It was really challenging. And, you know, I remember just really having to be very compassionate. I actually, I have a podcast called Going Scared. And at the time it was, it was such a God thing because right during that time, I had an interview booked with a professor that studies compassion. It's someone who Brene Brown has really brought her work to light. And Brene's used a lot of her work and she happens to be professor at UT and I'm from Austin. And it was just such God's timing because I I was really honest. I was like, I just got, I'm feeling horrible, you know, and (laughs) She's like, one of the things you can do when you're really going through a time of almost self-degradation is, is common humanity. Like we have all hurt someone and we've all been hurt by someone. And so I literally had to do these activities that kind of helped me like, you know, walk with myself compassionately as I realized, you know, how I had just not shown up in the way that in alignment with my values of really valuing people and loving people and wanting other people to be, feel heard and all those things. So that really started me on a journey of, um, of a leadership path and meeting with various people and, you know, reconciling and saying, this isn't how I want to show up and being a lot more open to feedback and catching myself when I'm feeling kind of urgent and critical and kind of, I just get a very impulsive feelings, you know, and they do, they feel very just super real and like 
this is how I feel. And this is that. And so I've had to learn to just kind of like hold those things in and, you know, chew on things and then, you know, kind of deliver my opinions in the right setting and in the right way. And I think, you know, learning how to empower continuing. I mean, that's been a long journey, empowering other people, empowering other leaders, empowering other people to make decisions. You know, ultimately we want to be a well-recognized brand across the world. And that's going to mean scaling and multiplying myself and, you know, uh, growing as a leader. So as far as how I've taken care of myself, you know, I mean, I do have rituals that matter to me. And I write about those towards the end of my book um, where it's a chapter called quit trying. And that's a funny thing to say, but you know, it's like when I had kids, I wasn't like, I'm going to try to be the best mom ever. No, I was fully committed. And for me as an Enneagram seven who doesn't like commitment, he feels very trapped. I felt very trapped for years in my own business. I felt like, what have I started? Like, I can't get out of this. I'm stuck. And that was a very suffocating feeling for me. And I would spend a lot of my energy figuring out like, okay, how can I escape this? How can I escape this hardness? How can I escape the stress of this? How can I escape? This is requiring everything. And now so many people are dependent upon me. And I think in Enneagram 7s, we don't want people to be dependent upon us because it makes us feel trapped. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. So I just felt trapped for so long, but really had to go through this maturing process. And I liken it to flying a plane, like building the plane while it was flying, but the plane was up in the air and the turbulence would hit. And I was like, okay, that was fun. I'm out of here. And at some point I had to realize, you know, I had to ditch the parachute and like throw it off the plane and just sit in that piloting seat and realize, you know what, every journey has turbulence, but we're flying to this great horizon beyond. And like, I'm the woman for the job. Like God tapped me and I'm going to fly this plane and I'm going to land this plane and and get it to the destination that, you know, whatever God sets it out to be, I'm going to be the one flying and I'm going to be faithful to what he's asked me to do. But of course, to do that, then we do need these rituals in place. And, you know, so yeah, exercise and prayer and, um, you know, regular time with my husband, you know, all of these are things that I deeply value sleep. I get really great sleep. And these are the things that really matter if I'm going to be doing this for the long haul. Oh, I am excited to get to that because I'm about I'm midway through, but I'm excited to get to the ritual section because, you know, that's been my word for 2019 is rhythms, which really signifies routines, which honestly sounds awful. But I've been having this conversation with some of my more fluid, flexible, free-spirited friends, whether they're a seven or not, and talking about just like, okay, I kind of, you know, I'm kind of into year two or three of my business. I've had no routine. It's kind of been like, woo, whatever. And it's kind of like, oh, it's time to get some disciplines in place because when everything is unhinged, nothing feels very quality anymore. So 2019 is all about rhythms and rituals and kind of just kind of getting those vitals in place. You know, I, there's two books I would recommend. One is um, Better Than Before by Gretchen Rubin. Ooh, and she okay. writes about habits and sacred rhythms is another book. But I, you know, this is how I was able to reframe habits. And it's, I just interviewed Gretchen for my podcast that'll come out in January with her. It was such a good conversation. And what I told her is that I'm not like, when you think of a seven, you think of us as spontaneous and like, we don't, we personal freedom is so important to us. We don't want to feel bound by anything. And so this like habits, I'm just like, that's boring. (laughs) Um, But after I've kind of started to study habits, what 
I was able to take away is once something becomes a habit, it no longer requires energy. And then you're able to have energy to put to the cool stuff, you know? So, you know, you don't really spend energy thinking about brushing your teeth. You don't spend energy putting on your seatbelt. In really life, we, we have talents, we have energy, we have time. And how am I going to allocate my energy? And that kind of helped me to think about like, gosh, if I'm constantly like not having any habits in place, then I'm spending my energy or I'm spending my willpower or I'm like, I'm thinking about like, almost like I said earlier, like, how do I escape? And I'm like, how do I want to spend my energy? I want to spend my energy moving forward and being faithful to why I was put on this earth and being faithful to steward my company and to steward my children and to steward my marriage and our finances. And so, you know, to me, I was able to think more habitually and more positively about habits as I thought about, oh, that actually creates more personal freedom for me because then I can just do these things that suddenly, eventually, they do become effortless. And that was really appealing to me. That is very appealing is a great word for that because that's what, you know, I know that when I get in a groove with something and I, when I like something, I want it all the time. And so I'm, you know, really hopeful. I love how I feel after working out, but man, getting to the place to work out is awful. And I will drag my feet. And if I plan it in the afternoon, it's the first thing to get cut from my schedule. Oh yeah. Something. I can't do the afternoon. Can't uh -huh. do the afternoon. I'll talk myself into like, Oh, I'm just a slow mornings person. I love slow mornings, getting up, being able to read. And then the second I push that workout to the afternoon, it's the first thing that gets cut every single time. And so just kind of really getting in a groove of like, man, I, I like who I am and I like how I feel more when I am in routines, um, when I've created healthy rhythms in my life, but just doing the discipline of getting that in a groove and those first 60 days of it, oh, woof, not my favorite. Yeah. And I don't even know if it takes 60 days, but, you know, and I think some of it's learning how to come back to those things that are good for us because ultimately, yeah, I mean, we set, off so, we set ourselves up for failure to be like, oh, I'm going to start doing this and it's, I'm going to be doing it every day for the rest of the year. It's like, you really need that plan for what happens when you stop doing it. How are you going to come back? You know, and I, I now exercise, like I, I know myself so well now, so I know I have to do group exercise classes because I give myself way too much credit just for showing up at the gym. And if I, sh if I just show up, I'll be like, elliptical for 10 minutes, killed it. Oh my gosh, I've gone to the gym so many times for like so I've learned minutes. I've got to have the peer pressure of people surrounding me. And I've even learned that if I'm really looking at a week where I'm like, ooh, I can tell this week, it's like there's extra things that are going to make me want to cancel, then I'll like text a friend. I'm like, meet me at the, meet me at the class. So then I'm not just like, if I cancel, I'm canceling on someone, not yes. just like a random instructor. And, you know, I have learned that I have to do it in the morning and, um, fully committed to it. But, you know, there's something called cornerstone habit. So there's these habits that you can find in your life and where they actually filter into so many other things. And so for me, exercise kind of sets that cornerstone habit and automatically I eat much better when I'm exercising and I sleep better when I'm exercising. Like it just, it's worth it to me to just instill that but I travel a lot and I've had to learn how to come back to my routine, you know, after travel and not use it as this like 
not have this like, oh, I've lost all momentum, you know, but like oftentimes I'll be out of town. And while I'm out of town, I go ahead and I look at my calendar for when I'm back in Austin and I start like, okay, scheduling my classes, you know, and so that it's all set for when I already get back home. That is good. That, that speaks to me. (laughs) That totally speaks to me. And honestly, you know, I think the last few years, the way God's been speaking to me is just a, a lot about stewardship and stewarding my body goes hand in hand with stewarding my dreams. And so I've been on the flip side of and that, you know, we're all going to have surgeries or something med- medical or something in our lives. But as, as a seven, having a shoulder surgery last year was probably the most like mentally stressful experience I could have gone through. And it really, really kind of got me in check with how I want to steward my health because there will be things I can't control like a shoulder surgery, but what I can control and what I can steward in an honorable way, man, I want to do that with integrity because I don't want to set myself up to be limited when it comes to stewarding my dreams. It's so, so true. It's so true. And I think we kind of laugh off like, Oh, you're, you, you only get six hours of sleep at night or this or that. But like, if you don't have energy, then you don't, you aren't going to be able to steward what you're, what you have to give, you Ooh. know? So stewardship of our body kind of has to be number one. It's just how God designed us to be. Well, that I want to piggyback off of that because I think something kind of trendy in the entrepreneurial space is to kind of talk about martyring our bodies or our schedules or our families. And I think we're seeing like better commentary developed around this topic. But how have you navigated that? Because I feel like it's only gotten better in the last, you know, few years. And you've been in this for more, you know, when did you get started? 2010? Uh-huh, 2010. So you've you've been in this a while and you've heard the conversation change and I think for a while we we really glorified busyness and no sleeping and these these people who mastered how to sleep only 3 hours a night so they could be more productive and it's like that's actually not the life I want but we did right. glorify that as a while for yeah. a while. So how did you navigate that and how did you decide what your expression of entrepreneurship would look like? Yeah. Well, I think to me, it so much is about seasons and there was absolutely a season that it's, it, that was crazy and it just is. And when you are wanting to, you know, I didn't want new day to be a side hustle. I wanted it to be a brand that was going to change the world. And so that did require a level of commitment and energy and time where a lot of things did go by the wayside, you know, where I just, I didn't get maybe as much friend time as I would have wanted to get. I did still maintain, you know, exercise and prayer because those again are like cornerstone habits that really flow into everything else. But I, I do have a habit of Sabbath and taking the day off, uh, one day a week, usually it's Sunday. And I definitely, that went out the window for a few years when it was like, Oh my God, I've got to work seven days a week. And you know, I think eventually I remember, um, I think I'd gotten strep for like the third or fourth time. And I was Googling Sabbath, <laughs> like, you know, instead of actually resting, I was kind of like, <laughs> how do I do this? And this article came up and it was by Tim Keller. who's a pastor in New York. And I'm like, he pastors very busy, busy, highly successful, high capacity people. So I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to this guy's advice. And he was talking about just having regular Sabbath. And he's like, you know, there are seasons, for instance, when you're starting a business, 
where a Sabbath might go by the wayside, but be careful to not just say this is a season and then that season actually never ends. And that reading that I was like, okay, it's been a few years now, like this season, I need to say this is ending. I need to, you know, not let noonday be the boss of me. I can be the boss of it. And, you know, I think again, you put just a few, just a sprinkling, you know, not this like, okay, I'm going to wake up at six every morning and I'm going to pray for an hour and I'm only going to eat all (laughs) greens and no sugar. And I'm going to go to bed at nine and I'm going to work out every day and I'm going to start drinking, you know, this much water. I mean, come on, that is perfectionistic, extreme thinking. Like, so to me, it's just finding these cornerstone things that you're like, okay, barring, you know, just like a real crazy season, I Sabbath, you know, weekly barring, you know, travel or a book launch, I keep my phone in my car for a couple hours in the evening. So I'm fully present with my family. Barring, you know, if my body's not feeling up to it, I exercise three to four times a week regularly. And I, you know, so I have these things now that I'm like, this is just what I do. And then for meditation, I changed it from, because I used to have this whole like hour, you know, and now I'm like, you know what? 15 minutes. Like I, no matter what kind of day I'm having, I can take 15 minutes to stop and to get centered and to pray. And, you know, that's not my goal because, you know, ultimately those 15 minutes usually just leave me wanting for more. But if I just only set myself up for, I have to have this, then it's like such all or nothing thinking, which I I really have definitely had a lot of all or nothing thinking in my life. I deeply resonate with that and have actually shifted in the last maybe month or two to kind of, you know, kind of a 15 minute set aside time to journal and read. I've like created some journaling practices that literally take five minutes and then I can kind of read and then I can kind of pray, meditate. And I've had such a better relationship to having the discipline of meditation when I didn't make it such an extreme commitment because I can go to this all or nothing space as well. One of my best friends owns a pure bar studio, so I can go work out whenever I want. And she'll say, Kelsey, you don't have to set your goal of five days a week right when you're getting started. It's okay right. to not be so extreme. And I'm like, no, I'm going to be there every day, five days a week for the rest of the year. And she's like, okay, what if you set your goal for like two classes a week? Yeah. So really real. like not creating these extreme expectations because I, it is it is perfectionistic, which we, we both can go to in a one space. So, you know, I know I don't want to keep you forever, but I could talk to you all day long. What would your advice be to someone who is either just starting out or in the trenches? I like to ask people this because I think a lot of our listeners are kind of in either space, um, but I, I would love to hear kind of kind of what your advice would be to someone? Well, I would define success is being faithful to what God has called you to do. And success is not about being faithful to what someone else is doing. It's not about a certain number. It's not about a certain social platform or whatever. Like it truly is like, how am I going to steward the time, the talent, and the energy that God has given me for his glory and for the good of people today. And um, I think that you've got to be really clear on that and clear on always coming back to that. And 
you know, I think that you have got to absolutely believe in whatever it is that you're doing and like, don't wait on someone else's permission. Don't wait on the right time or the right talents or the right money or the right adequacy. Like you just need to do the next best thing for your idea and quit. Again, I think that's that perfectionistic thinking that's like, well, I just need to Google this a little more. If I just had this connection or if I just, I'm going to go back to school for this or that. And it's like, no, you just need to do the next best thing for your idea and then do the next best thing after that. And then before you know it, you're beginning to cultivate and steward that, that dream that's in your heart. I couldn't agree more. And I think for me, my journey has looked a lot of like a scripture I've loved for a long, long time. I mean, since I was probably 14 was your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, but you don't often see two miles ahead of you. You see just the next step. And as someone who is a visionary and loves to see, you know, what's 10 years down the road, it's really hard for me to walk step by step. But I found that to be very true of just taking the next right step in front of me. Mm, Yep. Well, it happens. I have loved our conversation. Tell us where people can dive in more, both with Imperfect Courage and the Going Scared podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about both spaces? Yeah, so I have a website, Jessica Honiger, two G's, one N.com, and you can actually go take a quiz to see how courageous you are if you want to go check that out. And then you can hop on over to the Going Scared podcast. We do every week have an episode out, and it's really about entrepreneurship, social impact, and courage. And then my book, Imperfect Courage, will definitely help you to go scared and just um, really takes you by the hand and helps you not let fear hold you back anymore. And that is available um, Amazon, Target, Barnes and Noble, wherever books are sold. So, and I'm super active on Instagram if you want to find me over there. It's Jessica Honiger. Seriously, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing this conversation with me. I've tremendously enjoyed it, and I know the Radiant Tribe will as well. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback, and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other. Cozy up for the holidays with 60% off everything at Banana Republic Factory, including soft sweaters, comfy pajamas, must-have gifts, and more from $9.99. Find your nearest store now, only at Banana Republic Factory. Get 50 through 70% off almost everything at Gap Factory and GapFactory.com. Plus, shop new doorbusters for the family, including outerwear, jeans, and our Gap logo crewneck sweatshirt. Find it all at Gap Factory or GapFactory.com through December 14th. Get your holiday shopping done early at Macy's One Day Sale with deals of the day priced so low you don't need a coupon. Winter is here, so get ready with cold weather essentials $19.99 to $29.99 and cozy boots 40 to 50% off. Then snuggle up with a three-piece comforter set for just $19.99. Plus, get $10 in Macy's money for every $50 spent. Now at Macy's. For details, visit macy's.com slash macy's money. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply.